Thank you, Jesus. All right, John 16. Oh, the fifth verse where Jesus was telling them that he had to go away to send the Holy Spirit. So we're going to kind of start in there and, and stay open, and I'm going to progress towards something here. So I want you to stay with me. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask me, Where goest thou? But because I had said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient or absolutely necessary that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. Now, one thing that you can just keep in mind here that Jesus said it's expedient, meaning it will expedite. Our cause, our overall cause, if I go away, it'll be expedited, it'll be, it's expedited, it'll be speeded up. In other words, it's absolutely necessary I go away and I know that sorrow's filled your heart. But do you know that Jesus was going to be replaced by a greater teacher than himself? <laughs> you say, uh-oh. See, Jesus taught your sense knowledge. He was teaching spiritually dead men. And the reason he went away and came back, of course, was to die and get the rebirth available to you and me, where we'd be born again on the inside. Then we could be infilled, indwelled by the Holy Spirit that can only give us the insight that's imparted directly to our spirit. I mean, I understand things in my spirit that even my head can't figure out yet. And when it does, I'll let you know. That's called putting a revelation into words. Now, you're going to heaven. How many knows you're going? I mean, I, I know, too. I'm going. I'm not going to trick you. <laughs> he didn't raise his hand until he let me finish the sentence. Because last time I said, how many are you going to heaven? Everybody raised their hand. I said, what do you want to do that for? Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but his word will abide forever. <laughs> Safe place always is standing on his word, even when you get to heaven. Stand on his word. It works. <laughs> well, he said that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned or understood, spiritually imparted. It was necessary that Jesus went away, number one, to get us born in the image of God, a genetic rebirth by the Spirit of God, sired, born from above, literally sired by the Spirit of God. Second phase was to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, where he could get on the inside of you, and depart what we call revelation knowledge and understanding of the mysteries of God directly to your spirit and most of the time independent of your senses. I mean, you get, you hear the word through your eye, your ears, and you, you see the word with your eyes, and you see miracles work, but you can't really conceive that until it's imparted and understood by your spirit. The things of God are spiritually discerned because the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God and the translation to that is it searches the deep things of God and makes them known to you. Praise God. Well, no wonder he said it's necessary that I go away or absolutely expedient. If he didn't, the Holy Spirit couldn't come because there'd be no price paid for sin. All right, so he went away. Now look at the job he said the Holy Spirit would do when he came back. He said in the 8th verse, and when he's come, he will reprove. And that word reprove, of course, means convince. He'll convince the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, a righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, a judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He said with his own mouth now in the 12th verse, Jesus said this, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Meaning, you can't understand them now. But now he's given place to a teacher that's going to teach you from the inside out. He said that anointing that abides in you, and he was teaching along. He said concerning them that seduce you. Now, did you know in my own experience, now speaking from it on a scriptural standpoint, I want to say this. When I was first born again, I shoved everything in my mouth that sounded good. And I know you've done the same thing as baby Christians. Somebody would jump up and say, Oh, if you fast 81 days, that's it. That's it. That's the whole thing. So you run off and fast. You get real hungry and you come back and say, That wasn't all of it. Somebody come along and they say something else and you do that, you know, because you're hungry, man. 
hungry for the things of God. Starvation in the spirit, man, causes you to act like that. Well, a little baby shove anything in his mouth, but when he matures, you know, he starts, you know, you start looking at what you shove in your mouth. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's simple as that. You just start looking at it. Well, now, in the beginning, I just shoved about everything in my mouth I could. But, you know, I was praying in the spirit, and the Lord had me re remember back in them days. And I remember this. When some old weirdo would come down the pike, you know, <laughs> and jump on me and say, Hey, have you heard the latest? If you don't do this, you're not even saved. And, you know, and, and first I'd get warnings. I'd get red flags, anointings that'd go off in me, and waving flags would say, No, 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 no. And I would just, you know, the guy'd sound so overpowering and convincing and all that that pretty soon I'd say, Well, you know, it won't hurt to just try this. And then pretty soon my check goes away. The red flags go down, and he just lets me waller right on in. But I can't remember a single time that I got myself into some kind of mess that I wasn't warned first. <laughs> then pretty soon the Holy Spirit, he'll just settle down, and you'll go your way, and then when you ask for help, he'll step in and help. <laughs> now, he said, concerning them that seduce you, in other words, you've got an anointing that's in you, that's in there from the beginning, and it cannot lie. It's faithful. Every time somebody's trying to suck you off, seduce you, get you, you know, wound up into a wrong doctrine, that anointing will warn you every time if you listen. If you listen. Now, look at the job of the Holy Spirit in the 13th verse. He said this, How be it, or how, just exactly how is it? i got many things to tell you and I can't yet, but he says, How is it? When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Guide you guide you. Now, this is why if you sit there and say, I don't care what you say, this guy is all right. And if you buck and fight, did you notice he said he guides you in the truth? He didn't say he pushes you and forces you and breaks your arm to get you in the right direction. Did you notice that? But he said he guides <laughs> you. Now, it's pretty hard to be guided unless you're moving, isn't it? Now, he guides you now into truth. Now, Lord's really had me looking at this lately. Now, we're going to get into some good things here. Lord willing, i got time to finish it tonight. <laughs> you know me. I might be a month on this. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine, and show it unto you. Now let this ring in your mind for a little while. When the Spirit of truth is come, the Holy Ghost, he'll guide you. Now here's the guidance system. He'll guide you. He'll guide you. Now read this into, now with your pencils, underline this next word, A-L-L. -L. Now say it out loud. How much of the truth? How much? And the Holy Spirit's job is to guide you into how much? All truth. Now in the 17th John, chapter of St. John, Jesus said, Sanctify them or separate them through the word of God. Then he went on to say, and your word, or thy word, or Father, your word is truth. And what the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into is the truth of the word of God. Now this gets me excited because concerning the word of God, Jesus said some things that it took me hours to get what he was talking out of the chapter. He said the Spirit gives life. It makes alive. Then in the same breath he compared it and said, my words our spirit and their life. Now, the Holy Spirit takes these words. He said, my word is spirit and it is life. The Holy Spirit takes and he guides you into the truth of the word of God and translates it for you. And it makes revelation out of it. And he says, my words are truth. You get truth, truth, and their life. Truth and life. Now, 
Whenever I open a chapter up to get what's in it out, I mean, when God leads me to a chapter and I start meditating and praying, you know, I actually sometimes tremble my hands. I know that it is life that's in that chapter. I know it's eternal. And speaking of the things of the Word of God, he says, My word abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. But did you know before Jesus ever opened his mouth and uttered one single scripture that he says in there that the Holy Spirit he got from the Father, and he spoke it to Jesus, and Jesus spoke them words out. It says, God gave not the Spirit by measure to him, because he spoke the words of God. And, and the Word says that it abides forever and ever. In other words, before God ever spoke the Word out that you and I are getting, he meditated on it. God conceived it, meditated on it, until it was satisfied even in God's own heart that when he uttered these words out of his lips to be delivered to you and me, that it was forever settled in heaven. The revelation that's in that word is forever settled. It'll never, ever change or vary. It'll always be absolutely the same, and the truth that's in it is life, and it is power, and it's forever settled throughout eternity, million, trillion, not trillion, billion years. It'll never vary or change. That's why the life that's in it is life. All right, now this is what, boy, this <laughs> man... Now, to think that I have that at my fingertips, to think that the revelation and the understanding that I get from the Holy Spirit concerning the Word of God has been forever settled throughout eternity. It's so powerful that before it was ever spoken, God knew it would never vary, not one iota, never forever settled and always the same. Now, the reason God is the same yesterday, today, and forever is because when he opened his mouth and spoke his word, that his word never changes, therefore he does not. Now, let me say this. When a person gets the revelation of the Holy Spirit concerning that which never changes, then if you really give yourself to it, as the Bible says, and you live in it, Abide in it. Let his word live in you, and you live in him. I mean literally live in you, the living word, and hold fast like a rock to that revelation that is settled from now throughout all ages. I am never ending. And when you get that revelation in there and say, no, 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 it is truth that I have received. I am on that word. Therefore, everything that is temporary must change because his word will not. And your body's temporary. So is diseases. So is poverty. So is this earth. So is everything involved with it. It is temporary, but his word is eternal, and it will never change, neither will the truths that the Holy Spirit reveals to your heart. Well, now that's why that when a man really gets a revelation of the word, it will change everything around you until it really becomes alive in you. Believe me. It will change everything around you. Now, I'm going to let you in on some secrets of meditating in the Word that God has showed me. Well, it took me a while to get it. But I got an excitement in my spirit now. <laughs> in my office, I open my Bible up, and a lot of times I'll just read until a chapter's quickened to me. And then I'll open it up and I'll lay it on the table. And there's an excitement begins to, to mount in my spirit that I can't even explain to you. You know why? Because I know I'm fixing to receive something that's eternal and will never change. I know that the greater one has gone off on the inside of me, and I know something is coming that will never vary. Eternal settled Word of God. I'll lay my Bible, and I actually start shaking and kind of get half addicted over it. Because I lay my Bible down, <laughs> and I'll start praying in the Spirit to shut myself down, and I'll walk back and forth, and I'll make a pass by that Bible, and I'll read over it again. I'll make a pass by it again, and I'll read it again, and I'll make another pass and read it again, and the excitement starts mounting again. I've already got a revelation that that's eternal, what I'm going to receive, and I know what he imparts to me is going to work. Now... With your pencils and you got a piece of paper, put point number one. 
Point number one. Turn over to the 14th chapter now of Luke. Put point one. All right. How many of you have ever taught classes on the Word of God? Let's see your hands. Real high, please. All right, you've, you've literally taught a class somewhere or another, and you, you taught it in the Word of God. Now, another thing I'm going to ask you, how many of you have ever just, just flat taught somebody singular? I mean, somebody get a little turned on, you just lay the Word on them. <laughs> you start, let's see your hands. I know just about all of you have done that. Now, I'm going to, to show you how God has showed me to get what I get out of these chapters, and then you know I've come up with some dynamite off and on that just stood your hair right up on the end, you know, and you know, it's... People has come to me, and one guy come to him, and he says, I don't see how you keep doing that. And I said, well, it's easy. <laughs> it really is, because i got somebody teaching me. Now, I'm going to say this to you. When you're studying the Word of God, and it's a rule that applies also when you're teaching the Word. Now, rule number one, never just teach off of one Scripture. That's rule number one. If you're teaching the Word, never just teach it off of one Scripture. If you do, you're running a 75% chance of being in error. Now, some of you notice that they say Roberson, he don't preach Scriptures, he preaches whole chapters. Well, you ought to thank God for that. <laughs> now, with that rule, put a side note, and this is another thing you'll always remember, that Jesus did not teach in Scripture and verse, or chapter and verse, excuse me. He did not teach in chapter and verse, neither did Paul, neither did Peter, neither did Matthew or Luke or John. None of them taught in chapter, Scripture. They taught chapter, letter. All right, now this is where we've got ourselves so messed up that when we idolized this thing or itemized it and put it into Scripture so that we could a quick reference system, and that's all it was designed to do, but we have taken a, a Scripture and we've made a God out of it, and when we did, we got into error and made a whole lot of mistakes because this wasn't taught in error. Now, the second rule is this. Whenever you're working on a chapter... There is generally at least one and up to three on an, an average between one and three major truths in that chapter. Let's call it revelation knowledge, but don't let that scare you. Now, we're gonna, I'm saying that to say this. Revelation knowledge is a fancy word for revealed knowledge. Revealed knowledge. And that means that there is a main thought that Jesus was trying to get over to you and me. It's in that chapter, and the Holy Spirit will bring it out for you in the form of revealed or revelation knowledge. That simply means that is a truth revealed by the Holy Spirit to you. Now, now with the second notation put this, there is between one and three, generally, spiritual truths, in each chapter, between one and three on an average. All right? These are not in the form of scriptures, not just one single scripture, but it's in the form of a whole truth. Now, what Jesus endeavored to do was get the truth of the chapter over to you, not a single scripture. Now, when the Holy Spirit goes to teach you what's in that chapter, he goes about it the same direction as he did through Jesus and everybody that recorded it. He's after the truth that's in the whole chapter, and he never will just try to expound on one single little scripture in there because it'll get you messed up, and that's where most false doctrines come from. Now, you with me? <laughs> All right, now, this is my second rule. I never take a scripture and pick it out of the Bible and stand on just that scripture, I always take the revelation that's in the chapter and stand on that and back it up with the scripture. I don't know if you can write all that or not. 
And just remember that. Get it down in your thinking and remember. Now, somebody asked me this question, and I'm going to explain it to you. Now, I, I got a memory book the other day, and it was on associations. In fact, it was called the memory book. I bought it once, and I forgot it in the airport. <laughs> but when I got into these books, see, they, they dealt with association. You associate things to remember things, like a list of ten things you're going to shop for, and you associate them with something so you can remember the shopping list. Anyway, it's kind of funny, but you know when I got into the book and began to just look at it to see how these guys, the reason I did it, because my wife, she carries about 30 or 40 telephone numbers around in her mind. Whenever I want to call somebody, I just say, who's, what's her name's number? She flips it out there, and finally I ask her, how do you do that? She says, I can just see it. Well, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. In fact, I have to ask her, and then I just got to depending on her like a telephone book. You know, whose number is this? She tells me, and I got a phone in my car, you know. You have to call the number in, and I'm driving along. I say, hey, I'm going to call so-and-so. What's her number? And she gives it to me. I say, I'm going to call somebody else. She gives it to me. She only hears them once. And she can give them. She carries about 30 of them around in her mind. So I thought, man, I'm going to have to do something about this. So I bought me a memory book. <laughs> I'm going to challenge that. But when I got into it, I found out that he was explaining the same principles that I have been using to remember what's in the Word of God all the time. See, and somebody asked me, they said, how do you know what's in each chapter? How do you know the scriptures and the verses that's in these chapters? How do you get it? I don't, I, I tell you what. I don't try to remember scriptures and verses in the chapters. You know what I can recall right now? I have preached as high as 40 times in one month and drove three and 4,000 miles and preached night after night up to two hours, and I've never lifted a pencil with a note, not one single note. And people, they'll talk, begin talking about a chapter, and I can tell them what's in the chapter, and, and I can't tell them a lot of times just exactly verses for verse. But I can tell the revelation that's in the chapter. And the reason I can, see, because I went in there and I moved into that chapter one time or another. I moved into it and I lived there. I lived in it day and night and digested it until it literally become part of me. And I become part of it to a man that I was there. I walked with Jesus. I was with him when the whole thing took place. I know what he done. I know what's in that chapter, and I know the truth that's in it and what he is trying to bring out instead of just trying to memorize isolated scriptures and verses. See? All right? When he says the Holy Spirit has come to lead you into all truth, he's authorized to lead you into the chapters, to lead you and get the truth that was recorded in there that all these scriptures collectively brought to you. Now, I'm going to show you the technique on this. I'm going to show you in this 14th chapter here because I had a hard time breaking this chapter at one time. 14th chapter. I'm going to show you how to meditate in the Word to get the collective thought, to get the revelation that's in it out instead of just single scripture saying, well, I wonder what that means. You, have you ever heard preachers preach on this scripture? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it'll be done. I've picked that one out lots of times and yelled it at everybody and said, man, you need to abide in him and him in you. And I was real strong on it, which is true. But you know what that was? That was the end of a teaching that showed you how to be purged. And then at the end of that teaching, when you purged everything else out, there's nothing but the word left living in you. And you and him, then, then. Then you can ask what you will. Then. And it's done. See, it's nice to throw that out there and just say, well, if anybody lives in you and you live in him, everybody admires that and they say, oh, goodness, isn't that neat? Yeah, it's neat, all right, but how do you get there? <laughs> and gives detail how to arrive at that place. Well, now, this is a hard chapter here. Now, I just want to look at it. Now, the way I begin, the way I begin getting what's out of a chapter is I take it from the beginning and I'll read through the whole chapter at least six or seven and even up to 30 times. <laughs> All right, the reason I do that, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to get the drift of the whole thing over to my spirit. In other words, what, what's the collective thing God's trying to get to me out of that chapter? 
the whole thing, not single scripture, the whole chapter. I'll read it at least, oh, even up to highest 30 times. I've prayed five and six hours straight in the Holy Spirit and read a chapter 40 or 50 times. Now, in my spirit, then, at least two highlights of this chapter will begin to form. At least two. When I say highlights, I mean two total thoughts that Jesus taught on, or Paul or Peter. Then usually these two total thoughts are linked together by a, a lesser revelation of some kind. But now I'm going to show you in here. Now I read over this chapter, and then the Holy Spirit was teaching me these things, and he had to literally tell me to back up in this chapter. And he told me to do that, and I backed up in it. And when I backed up in it and read, I understood for the first time how to get revelation real strong out of a chapter. Now, what's the Holy Spirit sent to do? Guide you into all. Now, he's your teacher here now. He's your teacher. All right, let's begin here. Oh, why don't we look at the 26th verse? Because I haven't seen very many preachers that even want to touch it. Now, I'm just going to pick this one out of the middle to confuse you. Because <laughs> I've heard preachers preach on this, and it was sick. All right, now look what he says here, 14 and 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, and yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. All right, when I led, I said, that, that boy, do you realize what that did to them submission doctrines? When you got a wife, you submit to your husband and all that? <laughs> Goodness. We got us a direct contradiction there somewhere. But see, <laughs> he said, amen, come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife. Well, goodness. <laughs> well, that could throw a guy for a curve, couldn't it? So I, I read that, you know, and I read it. And to be honest with you, I meditated on that for probably a good hour. Now, I'm going to show you something. This is how I meditate now. I shut my sense man down. Now, I don't know if you know how to do that yet, but this is what these Monday night deals are for is to teach. Now, when I get a scripture out like this, what I do is I shut everything down on the outside. I, I got... I've learned to do that when I'm ministering to you. You see me get a weird look on my face, and all of a sudden, some of you have told me it looks like you're looking right through me. Well, basically, I am. Because a lot of times your mouth's moving, but I've learned to shut myself down so well that I can see your mouth moving. And if you're talking a big, long problem, I, I lose you. I don't even hear you. And I can see your mouth going... And I'm listening to God. I've already shut down. I shut my ears down and my eyes. You could walk up behind me and say, Dave, and I might not even turn around. You know why? I've shut my receivers down from the outside because I've made up my mind that I'm going to receive from the inside. And see, and I'm not disturbed or cry. I've got where I can do that in the subway. You know, if I think we had one here with trains running by. I don't care what kind of... I can shut down. I can shut down anywhere now. When I say that, I mean I can flick a switch in the inside of me to where I learn to listen to my spirit and I open him up for the Holy Spirit to say anything he wants to because I'm not influenced by what I'm seeing, hearing, or any outside influence. I'm literally shut down. Well, now, that's what I did to this scripture, see? I read it with my eyes, I heard it with my ears, and then I literally just shut down and transfixed myself on it and searched my spirit and turned it loose to the Holy Spirit so that if there's anything in there he wants me to have, he'll enlighten me to it. Well, when I did that, I began to see inklings in me, and this is what I got. I read over that several times, and the thing that kept sticking out to me was his own life also. That kept going. He kept saying that in my spirit, his own life also, his own life also, his own life also. And then I knew that he was talking something about salvation. Now, he wasn't talking about literally hating your wife and all that. That was a comparative sense. And later, when I broke the Greek down on it, I found out I was right. All right? I read that three or four times, and then he had me back up to the 25th verse. I, I backed up once above it. And it says, And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, See, and it was about that time the Holy Spirit asked me this. 
And you'll find he'll teach you by asking if you'll learn to listen. He asked me, and I can remember it very clear because he's teaching me how to meditate. He asked me on this scripture, he said this, Who do you think that multitude was? Who do you think it was? And I didn't know, so at that time he told me to go to the beginning of the chapter. And this is where God taught me a valuable lesson that there's truths in the Word of God, and we're after the truth, not the single Scripture, because you make doctrines that cause people to fall. Now, he had me back up. Now, let me just show you who the multitude was that went with him. All right? Beginning with the 12th verse. Then said he also to him... Oh. Well, let's start with 15. Excuse me. And when one of them, or when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said, Blessed is he that will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man bade a great supper. They bade a great supper, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them which were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and prove it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have five, bought five yoke of oxen, I go to prove them. I pray they have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and showed him all these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go quick into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and there is still room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go into the highways, the hedges, and compel. There's your halls. <laughs> just like you're in, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full, for I say unto you that none of them men which was bidden shall taste my supper. Then, now, here's what threw me for a long time. My King James has a change of subject right here. See, and he didn't even know any more than I did. Now, them guys were good translators. They did an excellent job. This is my favorite Bible. But I'm going to say this. Their wordings... And their phrases is different than a lot of our wordings and our phrases today. And have you ever read through the Word and you read something and it didn't make sense? And you said, that just don't seem to tie in. You know what's going off? Something in your spirit. And if you'll go get the Greek and all that out and break it down, you'll find out that generally it agreed with the anointing that lives in you. And the King James, they just goofed up somewhere and, <laughs> and said something that throws a different image than it should have thrown in us and that don't agree with the Holy Spirit, you get a reaction. You go, hmm, <laughs> how come that don't make sense? And I'm trying to get that out of blah, 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 right on down the line. And I, I know there's one I'm working on now over there. It says that he is born not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the blood, but the but of God. And there's one in there that, that, that's speaking of, I thought us, but I found out it was talking about Jesus not being born of the will of man, but of God. And see, that never did check in my spirit. But the Greek said that that was talking about Jesus. That was talking about him. He wasn't born of the will of man. He was born of God. But see, that go off my spirit for a long time, the wrong direction. So when I, I got in this chapter, I said, Lord, now you're still on the same subject. Then this 26th verse is a tie back to the ones that we just got through reading. See, and these revelations were beginning to form, but I still had to get them out. So then I said, aha, and it dawned on me, and I thought I was so smart because all of a sudden I knew who that crowd was that he turned on. Now let's look at 25 again. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned unto them and said, he turned on them, and he said this, if any of you come to me and hate not your wife, family, children, did you know he just named the things that them men rejected salvation over? One of them says, I just married a wife. The other one says, I just bought some land. I've got to go look at it. And the other one says, well, I just bought some oxen. See, they rejected it. And, and I knew then by revelation that that supper that they were bid to was a salvation call to the world. Because he said, let's go into the highways, the byways, and the hedges. So they went into them. It was a salvation call to come to the table of God and get born again and get healed and get salvation and get everything. So he turned on that crowd he just preached to turned on them because they were the ones that were rejecting. And then he said, you, if you come to me and have to choose and you choose oxen, wives, and lands, then you're not worthy of me. All right? That's one main revelation in that now.
One main revelation. Now we're coming on the second one. <laughs> Are you learning? I thought, praise God, the Holy Spirit to lead me, you're a faithful bunch, and you want to know these things. And, you know, we can teach you a whole lot, but there's only so much we can teach you, and there comes a time when you can open a chapter like this and get it yourself. See, and that's when the Word of God, man, it just comes so alive. So when I seen he turned on that bunch, and believe me, when Jesus preached to that bunch about yoke and oxen, there's a bunch of people in there that wouldn't accept salvation because of monetary goods or anything else you can name. Then he says, boy, you're not worthy of me. And he said to hate your own life also. In other words, if you reject salvation, is your oxen going to save you? Is your wife going to save you? Is your land going to save you? What kind of price are you putting on this thing? When he said, you're not worthy of me, that was an understatement. Where are you going to go? What else are you going to do? Live your 50 or 60 measly troubled years out on this earth, then die and go to hell? What kind of deal is he offering you? Well, no wonder he said, you're not worthy of me. But you know, that excited me because he says, and hate, and that word hate is a comparative word meaning, if you're forced to make a decision, then brother, you better choose him because your wife or nothing else can save you. And you're not called to go to hell over anybody or anything. Well, this is getting exciting. Whew, getting addicted and I've already been over this. <laughs> Hallelujah. I spend most of my time listening to God. It's my, it's my favorite sport. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. My favorite. Sometimes I'll drive miles and miles and didn't realize I did it. Meditating. I'll get scriptures inside of me and I just roll them and roll them and roll them and roll them and, 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 and then listen to the Holy Spirit and shut down and listen. Then I'll get an inkling and a formation of a revealed knowledge will start coming. Mm, boy, and it'll build in me and one scripture after another will build and pretty soon it'll burst into a full light. And boy, when it does, that's when I come out here and I say, boy, you have had it. <laughs> Now, the other day, see, when I was meditating through there on, on loosening and binding, you know, and then all of a sudden, old Peter says, how many times we've got to forgive this guy? And I realized, he said, loose him. In the next chapter, God was loosening and forgiving. And I realized that he was talking about when you pray and bind, if that guy's going to be a heathen to you, bind the devil and loose the man. And if you have to, do it 490 times a day, and it'll cause your faith to work. And my God, I never even heard nothing like that on tape. You know, goodness. All right, his ability to teach you and I. Now, let's go after the second part of this revelation now. All right, let's read 26 then. He turned on that crowd. He made a statement. He says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. And disciple means disciplined follower. Now, a lot of us have had a misconception of the cross. You know, we, uh, some of us, sick, broke, afflicted, or even bound to a wheelchair, and you hear this so much in the humility group. And you know, you can understand their reasoning. They say this. Well, this wheelchair is just my cross. I mean, I know that. I'm going to go. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Boy, and somebody get beat up or something, and you know, and they get in a car wreck and cripple the rest of their life, and they say, Well, this is the cross that God has laid on me to bear. And it's not so. Do you know what the cross is? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's the narrow path. And you know what the narrow path is? It's the love walk. And that's the cross that God's laid on you. It's the love walk. Now, let me prove it to you. Let's read it one more time. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Did you notice that it's your choice to bear that cross? Did you notice that? Whose choice is it? 
In other words, you pick your cross up or you lay it down. Now, let's see any of you lay a wheelchair down. <laughs> let's see you lay a wheelchair. It wasn't your choice to get in one. It's not your choice to get out. You can't lay that down on your own will. You can lay it down through prayer and the prayer of faith. Yeah, that's right. But if it's a cross you picked up, then it's a cross you can lay down. And boy, you certainly can't lay down a, a, a wheelchair and a broken body and all that unless you got the word. <laughs> can you see the deception in that? All right, let's go on. Now, do you notice there he said you cannot be my disciple? In other words, if your wife is fighting you at the land and all that stuff is pulling on you in your own life and all that, he said you've got to pick up your cross and make a decision to follow him, to follow him. Or you can't be his disciple. You're a disciple's disciplined follower. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And don't do the things that I say. And he said, Lord, Lord, he's not your Lord. Lord means over all. And if you don't do his word, he's not over your all. Boy, when he said Lord, he didn't say it once. He said, Lord, Lord, twice in worship. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not them things which I say? Whew. Now, you know what? I thought that when Jesus was talking about me having to choose between him and everything else because my wife can't save me, my land can't save me, my oxen can't save me, he says, boy, I'd better choose him. I thought that it was being hard on me. In other words, I thought that he was demanding total sacrifice, total sacrifice, until I got into the rest of the scriptures, and now we're coming up on Revelation number two. All right, the next verse. Goodness. <laughs> All right, 27 says, Whoso. Now, in the course of reading through this chapter several times, I ended up on the end of it, on the 33rd verse, and, and a bell went off in my spirit that brought me back to the first half, so I knew that Jesus was still talking about the same thing. Now, as far as I was concerned, he changed the subject here when he started talking about towers, which are you building a tower and all that. But he didn't. Now, look at the 33rd verse with me and listen to your spirit now. And I want you to tell me what you get. 33rd verse says this, So likewise, now likewise means you're going to be just like these guys. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Now, did you notice he didn't change the subject? Does that agree with your spirit? All right, now we're after another revelation then. See, he threw clear back to the 26th verse. In this one, that means that everything in between here and in the 33rd verse is the likewise that he's comparing us to. So that's Revelation number two must be right in there. Now keep that in mind. Now look at the 34th verse. He said this. He said, salt is good, but if salt has lost its savior, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's talking about the ears I'm talking you to listen with tonight. Now, now he's talking about the ears you could have went ahead <laughs> and, and got the rest of this with. And that's why he says, let, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And I said, Lord, I'm going to hear. I'm going to hear, and I'm going to hear of my inner man. Now, right here in this 34th verse, right here, there was a part of this that broke this whole chapter for me. Right there in 34. Now, let's see what it was. He said, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor. Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. And what's that saying here? All right, you take a bunch of salt. Take a handful of salt. Now, take the flavor out of it. Now, where are you going to go to get something that you can season that to make it taste like salt again? Huh? There's nothing. There's no substitute that you can get to season salt back up to make it taste like salt. Now, with that in mind, let's throw back over here to the 26th verse. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and children and sister in his own life also, he cannot be his my disciple. In other words, if you reject him over land, houses, or anything else, then where, where are you going to go? 
to get seasoned. Where are you going to go? What are you going to turn to? Now, we're ready for the next verse, and that's 27, 28. For which of you? Now, now notice he's asking a question here. Now, you've got to realize you went over this and over and listened to your spirit. Now, he's saying, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold him begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish? Now, he's asking you a question, all right, just like he did when we taught in Luke 17. He says, You can have faith that will move a mountain, but which of you is filling this role? Now he's asking you, Which of you in, in, that intend on building a tower won't sit down first and count the cost? Now, I'm asking you the same question Jesus did. Now, how many of you w would build you a house and you start building it in the middle of the summer and you only had enough money to finish everything but the roof and you knew it would rain? Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you are dumb enough to do that? I'm not talking about faith because you give me a nail, I'll tell somebody, i say, I'll put a house on it. <laughs> they say there's a bum going around. He had a button, you know, and he'd hand it to these people and say, would you sew a shirt on it? <laughs> and now I'm not talking about faith, people, because I know, you know, give me a nail and we'll put a house on it. But what I am trying to say, he was speaking strictly in a natural sense. Now what he's saying, is there any of you dumb enough to sit and have half enough material and know you only have half enough to, to finish a house? Now, no, no, this really. Let's just say that I own the construction company and I built this. I was building a $6 million complex, and there's a company watching me that, that was going to give me a job that was worth $30 million. And what if I started building it, and then all of a sudden I run out of funds, and there it's set by the freeway? Do you think that other company would give me their job? They wouldn't because I was too stupid. Too stupid not to count the cost to see if I had enough to finish that. Now, he's asking you this, which of you is that dumb? And literally, none of you are. None of you. All right, let's go on to the next one now. 31st says, Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that, that has 20,000, or else when he's a, a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Now, he's asking you which of you would go after 20,000 with 10. Now, just answer just, just directly. How many of you would do that? How many would build a house with not enough to finish? Strictly speaking, in the natural sense, none of you. None of you. Now, now you know who the likewise is in the next scripture. Likewise, likewise, likewise. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. All right, who's the likewise? All right, he's saying you're like somebody. Who are you like? You're like a guy that was too dumb to count the cost to build a whole building. And you're like a guy that's too dumb to sit down and find out whether he can whip 20,000 with 10. He said, you're like these dumb people that build a house and, and no foundation and, and never get a job complete. That's how dumb you literally are. You're just as dumb as that. I've got to get this over to you. <laughs> That's how dumb you are, you said. So likewise are you. In other words, he's putting you in the same boat with the man that didn't have enough materials to finish that tower in exactly the same boat if you don't forsake all that you have to become his disciples. In other words, if you don't, you're the guy that fails. See, you're a failure. You're a half a cow builder. If you don't sell out to his word. Now, he said, be his disciple and follow him, and you know how you become that? I'm going to read this one more time. Can you see that now? All right, that's the second revelation in this. You fail if you don't. It looks like you're failing if you do. Now you say, oh, I hate, I, I got to choose Jesus over my wife and everything else. Yeah, you lose her if you don't. You mean I got to choose between him and oxen and land and houses? You'll lose them if you don't. 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> so likewise, whosoever, and that covers you and me, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, you're dumb, and you've got half enough to finish anything you start unless you found it on the Word. Now, do you notice he said, cannot be my disciple? Now, disciple is disciplined follower. That's what the word disciple is derived from is the word discipline. Now, concerning that, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, there's only one scripture that tells you what makes you a disciple. He said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? If you're not doing what he says, you're not his disciple. You might be born again, but you're not his disciple. Now, he says, unless you continue in my word, when you continue in it, you build a tower founded on the Word, continue in it, then you are my disciples indeed, meaning in your deeds. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, your tower will always finish. And you'll always win your wars. Because you're, likewise, he says, if you don't forsake, you're dumb as the guy that had half enough material. <laughs> All right, there's only one way you'll become his disciple. One way? One way. And that's to continue in his word. So then basically what he's saying here then, so likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, for the word, sell out to the word, follow it, continue in it, you cannot be his disciple. Now, you say this, you say, I know preachers, I know lots of them that have big churches and everybody's coming, and they look like they're doing real good to me and they're making it, and yeah, dying in their bodies. A lot of them's depressed, sick, and using excuses why the word don't work instead of why it does. And you call their house built on a rock? All right? There was two major revelations in that. Two major revelations. Could you see them? The two connected. They tied in with one another. There was the salvation call, the selling out to it, and then the consequences for the man that doesn't do it. Thank you, Jesus.